Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Shut up and sit down. Right. This week we're sitting down and talking with Jason Campbell and Leon Lawrence of From Bed to Dead. Now Jason and Leon are some very accomplished high-level public land hunters who consistently are killing high-caliber deer no matter where they hunt, to include the highly pressured state of Michigan. Um, Jason's been on a few other podcasts, the Hunting Beast podcast and the Deer Hunter podcast, kind of talking about the bed hunting, and uh, it's really kind of high level stuff. And, uh, so what I wanted to do was have them step back a little bit like they were going onto a piece of public ground for the first time, or maybe speaking to a guy that's been hunting his, his parents' farm or grandparents' farm or the same old, same old and coming off of that, um, and kind of break it down a little bit, um, for maybe someone who's aspiring to be a better hunter, maybe somebody who's never killed their first deer with a bow or maybe someone who's never killed uh, a buck with a bow um, to try to to try to come at it from that perspective so there's a lot of great great information in here uh, before we get to the episode though um, our friends over at Tioga Rise um, Jimmy and Brett are giving away a one month box of their uh, Tioga Rise coffee the instant coffee that we've talked about on the podcast uh, when we were doing our elk stuff and John and I don't get anything from this, but we, you know, we used it when we went out West and we know that there's a lot of guys that are planning their out West trips and they're doing that sort of thing. So if you go to trytioga.com, um, you can get a box of their coffee. So 12 packets of instant coffee for a dollar. Um, so if you just want to try it, um, it's certainly worth it. So I just wanted to put that out there for the listeners. Um, you know, something that they're doing over there. And, um, if you haven't, already given us a review on however you're listening to this if you could do that that really helps us out and then check us out on instagram and facebook 
and definitely check out From Bed to Dead. But uh, I think you're really going to like this episode, so let's get to it. Hey everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. John had to step out due to a family emergency, but uh, we've been trying to schedule this podcast since January or so, and uh, I'm here with Jason and Leon from from Bed to Dead. So how are you fellas doing today? Doing well, doing well. Good. Well, Good. boots on the ground today. Mm-hmm. I'd say a little chippy. You guys have spent a lot of time together today, so oh, yeah. it's been a little back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> so no comment. Uh, <laughs> so for anybody who hasn't um, been following you guys or kind of um, aren't familiar with From Bed to Dead, uh, can you give us a little bit of background on that project, and then maybe a little bit of um, you know how you guys are coming to hunt together because you're from opposite sides of the state. Uh, it looks like there's maybe one or two years age difference in you. Um, so how, how did you guys become? Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I will say hunting, thank, hunting uh, partners. I will say thank you for that one. Uh, that, like, that's a comment on my part. I like that. <laughs> I think it was sarcastic, though. <laughs> well, um, probably about, what, five years ago? Maybe somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. We met off the hunting beast, and um, we messaged each other a couple different times. We kind of kept uh, in touch. And uh, just to see how each other was doing, I think we had mutual admiration for each other's success in the state. He was on the west side of the state. I was in the central side of the state. So um, I don't, at that time, we were pretty, both of us were pretty tight-lipped about the way that we hunted um, and sharing information just because we've been burnt by several people in the past. So um i think it just started off as like admiration and you know hey how's your season going what are you seeing over there is it rut time yet you know small talk and that continued for a couple of years and it got a little more and a little more and i he says it all the time but i think i pushed a little more um just because i knew he and i both shared the same passion we had the same ideas we'd been burnt in the same, pretty much the same kind of ways. And, uh, our moral compass character was pretty much spot on. And, uh, then, um, I organized a meet and greet, um, with probably about 35 Michigan guys really? somewhere in there. And, uh, Dan Infault came to Michigan from Wisconsin and, uh, and, uh, first meeting place we had a breakfast place that we met at and he walked in and i've never seen him but as soon as he walked in he sat down and i heard him talking behind i haven't heard his voice or anything i just turned around and i was like you're leon i knew who he was and mind you when we sent pictures back and forth there's no face in any of these pictures so it's not like i could recognize him or he recognized me and uh we sat and talked for a couple couple minutes but i was busy organizing you know the event and um, as soon as we got to the hunting locations and decided we were going to start scouting, um, for whatever reason, him and I both, you know, I was in the back kind of managing the group while Dan was in the front, and he just happened to be back there. And uh, a very odd question was asked to me that kind of surprised me and shocked me. And after that, 
it just I, I think that we didn't leave each other the whole entire trip. No. I don't I mean we, we we like that's all we did was sit and bounce ideas off one another, talk about it. And then that led into a more personal relationship where we started uh, I think we felt comfortable at that point, but we started talking about each other's family life, um, kind of what we were doing in our lives. We kept in touch even in the off season, um, and uh, for one reason or another, things got busy. Life got busy. A um, couple years went by. We still kept in touch, but we never really met up again. And then um, life settled down for you and me both, and uh, we. I guess rekindled what we had lost before and decided we were going to, you know, meet again and start doing things. And, um, I think I had you come out here first. Yeah. You had a piece for a scouting mission and I wanted, you know, I didn't trust anybody to come and look at it, but I knew I trusted his, you know, intuition and what he knew. And I knew he wouldn't come and hunt, you know, my piece, not that he couldn't, but just, he would respect that, and uh, we tore the woods apart, ended up finding a really good overlooked bedding area that my son ended up killing a really nice buck out of um, for his first deer, and uh, I don't think there's been a day that's went by or a week that's went by that we probably haven't stayed in touch after that. I don't I don't think so. No, the, the relationship has steadily progressed. And, uh, you know, he's, um, he's my best friend, yep. you know what I mean? He's, he's my brother. So, and in that kind of, as we progressed, he and I had talked a couple of years back about the industry and where it was kind of headed to. And, um, we just felt like the, every man was being left out, so to speak, you know, it was about commercial kills, you know, that's what we like to call it. But, you know, like people who have big managed pieces of property and they're hunting the way we'd all love to if we had the money to hunt them that way but it's not what we really have to hunt so um we kind of got sick of seeing 150 inch deer passed up you know on a piece of property looking for you know something astronomical and hearing you know seeing other guys too hunt that way thinking that that's how it's going to be successful and struggling and you know reality hunting has started to catch on i like to call it reality hunting because i think that's what it is and uh it became more about the hard work the you know less about the equipment more about the hard work more about the scouting more about the uh, effort that it takes, how to read deer sign. And it would appeal to every person because it's not something so much money brings to the table as much as it is hard work and dedication. And so that's, you know, we, we talked about it and then, uh, was it earlier in the year? Uh, probably February, I want to say of last year. Um, I asked him to pretty much come on and be my right-hand man. Um, and um, if you would know him, um, that's a big endeavor because he's uh, he's like I was too, very elusive. Not really want to be in the public spotlight. You're not looking for fame. We're not looking for, you know, money. We just 
really love what we do and we wanted to help people become better hunters um, or help somebody at whatever level they wanted to be helped at. And um, he liked the idea and said absolutely. And um, we have been stomping through swamps, through hills, all kinds of country together ever since. Yeah. Um, trying to lay some good footage down, um, a lot of good information and trying to help, I guess, uh, you know, get this thing off the ground. And we've had a lot of really awesome people that's, uh, lended a helping hand, um, a lot of direction, um, a lot of positive feedback so far. And, um, you know, we're just trying to keep it rolling. Yeah, talking to Leon, so we um, had met up at the Grand Rapids Hunting Time Expo. I was trying to meet up with Jason, and it just didn't it didn't work out until later, and then we didn't have a spot to record, and I inadvertently bumped into Leon. I never met him before, but he's got the From Bed to Dead sweatshirt on, and so we got to talking, and, and that was one of the things we talked about it a, a little bit from – your perspective, your generation from a Michigan hunting perspective, everything is so close to the vest. You know, nobody wants to tell you anything. They don't want to share anything. And so that's one of the things that I really like about, you know, what you're doing right now. And uh, I guess maybe a little bit, if you could explain what you're going to do with uh, From Bed to Dead and the way that you guys hunt, but you're coming at it more from an education piece than a look at us and look at us kill these big buck type type thing right absolutely well i mean it's uh it's an endeavor you know because it's a lot of hard work you know what i mean when you have to take a video camera out with you every single second you're out in the woods um to remember that some of this stuff because we've been doing this now for quite a while um, what we have that's overlooked isn't overlooked to the people we're trying to reach. And so being able to explain that so that way you listeners can understand exactly what we're talking about when it's something I think when we walk in the woods, like him and I would just nod at each other and we know exactly what it is we're looking at, what that means, you know, where if somebody was following along like today. I don't think they would have understood that or caught a glimpse of it or, or, you know, really gathered what we did from, from that. You know, there's so many different things that we notice and I think it's kind of difficult to explain it all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think with, you know, with me having kids and new to hunting and, you know, you and your wife, you know, like explaining, like it's, it's something that we've been encountering all the time. So I think it's made us better at being able to actually explain it and focus on all the basics that we want everyone to grasp and, you know, get a hold of, um, you know, cause we've been on the forums, many different sites on the forums, and it seems like the same kind of questions are asked all the time about, you know, like, how do you locate a big buck? Or, you know, 
how do you determine a doe bedding area from a buck bedding area or, you know, whatever it might be. And there's a lot more people that want to know now, I think. I, I feel oh, like yeah. there's a lot more people yeah. that are willing to ask the questions instead of, The industry's you know, opened up. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think that reality-based, you know, uh, hunting outfits now, have really opened the doors and social media and the internet has broadened everyone's outlook. I mean, it's really easy now to Google the answers or to get to a site or to get to someone who potentially knows, you know, right. an answer. And then you got however many thousand of other guys out there recording, you know, podcasts, you know, well, I like to, you know, shout out to Whitetail Experience, but like, you know, Byron and Dave, those guys are, you know, they do a lot of hard work and, and they're putting their stuff out there too. And, and so being able to give every person, you know, because sometimes personalities don't, you know, always match up. I know, you know, like you, you and I, you know, like certain people in videos and how they explain things and we gravitate towards it. And I think that that's kind of another aspect of why, you know, we're doing what we're doing. Um, and really, to be honest with you, and I, I mean, you can answer for yourself on that, but I think that for me, I just love helping people. I really just love helping people, you know, and being there to answer questions. And I love, talking whitetails i love everything that goes into it it's not work to me i mean it is work right. but to me i love every minute of it and you know i don't want to go into depth detail about michigan's hunting and how i feel <laughs> about that but educating the hunters um so that everybody you know has feels like they have an equal opportunity or a chance at being more successful. And then, you know, cause there's nothing more gratifying than seeing somebody that you helped, you know, end up taking their first deer or their biggest buck. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't cost a, a thing. Right. It's just time. You know what I mean? That's really to me. Yeah. It's gas, you know, yeah, it's this, but you know, I, I just like doing it and then being able to put it on video um, and, you know, the photos and the explanations. I mean, it's just, I just love doing it. That's really what it is for me. Yeah. I, um, I've been extremely elusive over the years. Um, if anyone's actually looked into um, me on the forums or anything and um, the history that comes with that, uh, realizing that once you get to a certain stage in your hunting career that it's more about giving back and helping other people achieve their dreams and you know I've been fortunate enough blessed to um, put some really nice deer in the dirt and you know you start having a lot of these local kids and stuff like that that you know just kind of look up to you to some degree and then you start to explain it to them and you realize that you know you are really taking a risk of opening yourself up so you got to kind of keep things at a at arm's distance and kind of go into their terrain more than you do yours um 
but you know, uh, two years ago I had this, uh, local young man that, um, had a really good hunting foundation and, uh, dad taught him a lot of things. And, uh, I really just challenged him and said, you know, look, you're, you're killing year and a half, two and a half year old deer consistently. And, you know, I challenge you to start doing things a little bit differently. I shared the videos with them and, you know, went and shared my setups with them and stuff like that. Um, and that year he killed his two biggest deer, or I shouldn't say his two biggest deer because he did have one bigger than that when he was younger, but I mean, he had the best season of his life. And, um, I can remember helping him drag this thing out of a swamp and, and both deer and just to see the look on his face and, you know, that is so priceless to watch them achieve that goal and to start off the year that way. And, uh, I'm, so I'm starting to come out of my shell a lot more, um, and to realize that, you know, I'm getting older and, um, the knowledge that I have to offer regarding Michigan whitetails and, um, how I get things done that, uh, I don't need to keep that under wraps anymore. I need to open up and, you know, start helping other people achieve the same dreams that I've been blessed to achieve. And so that's where I am. And uh, Jay got a hold of me, and we, like he said, we started conversing about things from bed to dead. He approached me with it, and um, I really took a lot of time to kind of meditate about it. I have been in the outdoor industry off and on for quite a few years, and... Um, you know, just looking at him as a person and uh, his morals, values, and ethics, I said, yeah, you know, I'll come along and help you. You know, well, I'm on board with this. And, um, yeah, I haven't looked back since. It's been, we're, we're having a lot of fun, <laughs> you know, really enjoying it. Well, I think that that's probably the most important thing because I I talk about it with a lot of people, you know, you can kill all these deer and show them all off to only the people and then everybody wants to know how or when or why and you can't share a, a lot of that and at some point i mean like this year i had a great you know the best year ever and i was with uh you know uh, my father-in-law and and his friend and we came to this point and he's like well i don't want to walk any farther so just go over there and you know i killed the biggest buck I've killed in Michigan with a bow. And, you know, I, as soon as he came over, I was like, I apologize. You know, I could have stopped there and you could have went over there and we could, you know, and he's like, he was so happy for me. Mm. And, you know, there, he had told me, you know, five or 10 years ago, you know, hunting is a selfish man's game. Mm. And I, I've never felt that way. I've never kind of like been, I've never been successful enough or, you know, to, to, or had a spot or had a deer that I was hunting so much that I, I just, it, it consumed me. I think that I, I've seen it happen to a lot of people. Um, and so he's in that stage in his life now, I think where he wants to see his kids and his grandkids and, and, and me, you know, have that same experience, kind of like what, what you're talking about. And so that, ability to share that experience, that knowledge, that everything, you know, you feel like a, a part of it that, you know, you were instrumental in that. And uh, definitely, you know, and you're talking about, you know, Michigan being tight vested and 
a lot of it has to do with the amount of work that goes into, you know, putting a big deer in the dirt. And I kind of don't blame people because, you know, there's so many people out there that when they see success, they start to stalk you, you know, they start to check parking lots and start to do this, that, and the other, and all the garbage that comes along with that. And, you know, so you, you really just kind of put you in the shell and, um, you, because everyone seems to think that you just have this one magical spot and you don't, I mean, the only magical spot you have is the spot that you've been working on for the last three years and sacrificing personal time. And, you know, it's for me, every chance I get them in the outdoors. And so once you start to reach a certain plateau, then you realize that, okay, where am I going to go from here? And, what more is there to accomplish? And I think there's books out there talking about the progression of a whitetail hunter and stuff like that. And so once you kind of get past that point that, you know what, this is no longer about me putting big deer in the ground. Cause the reality is there's a there, Michigan has a lot of nice deer. You just got to find them. You gotta be willing to put in the work. There is no piggybacking, you know, I mean, I may piggyback off of Jay when I go to the <laughs> east side of the state and he'll piggyback off of me, but that's difference mutual, you know, and he's not coming in maliciously and, you know, sneaking into my spots and stalking and all that other stuff. But, and I also think that now, like you had said that, you know, the internet and social media and things of that nature and this information is really getting out there and people are realizing entertainment and hunting for what it is and so on and so forth. And, you know, now that this information is there, that really helps people who have been successful to give these people that really want to try and really want to achieve this goal a foundation for themselves because there really is no shortcut you know so one of the questions that i had coming into this and for the the listener and you know for myself so much i mean i think ultimately to be successful the magical pixie dust is hard work and time definitely you know um so outside of knowing that where are you spending your hard work and time there's a lot of you know the whole industry everything is michigan doesn't have big deer um you guys are killing them they're being killed you know aprs whatever are bringing more big deer into the fray maybe but that time has to be spent kind of specifically and um i guess like with a purpose because you can go to the same spot and i've talked about this on our podcast before but before i started all of this and i made a decision that i wanted to get better i wanted to have a better season than i've had in the past I was never hunting with a purpose. I was hunting because I had time. And so I went here because this is where I always sat. So you can go to this place that you've always hunted and look in the same spots that you've always looked. And you're probably going to find everything that you've always found. So when you're looking here in Michigan or you're going to a new property, you move to a new area, or we've got some hunters that um, listen to the podcast that are just stepping off of their private land for the first time, you know, there's grandpa's farm or whatever. And so they get buck pictures at night and they don't ever see anything during the day. And they've only got this amount of space 
and they feel like they've covered the whole property or, or whatever because the property is small and it's a lot of small pieces of private. So you go down the road and there's this big piece of public. How are you locating a big deer? I mean, you can't kill a big deer if they're not there. I've heard you say that, Jason. And that was from the beast forum. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, there's no way around that. I mean, if there's not a deer worth chasing, then, you know, he's not there in the block of timber you're at, then, you know, you're wasting time. Um, But I think it just depends on the goals of the hunter that's out there. If it's somebody that's, you know, in your example, got a small piece of private or a couple small pieces and he's getting a good buck that he'd like to kill or she'd like to kill on camera. And, but it's late at night, which means more than likely it's not betting there. It's passing through. Um, and they <clears throat> notice that adjacent to that, there's a really big chunk of private or public land and they want to venture out. Um, I think the very first thing that I, I mean, I've always said this, I guess, is that is put boots on the ground and probably walk every inch of it that you possibly can. I mean, find the bedding locations, find where other hunters are hunting, find the exit entrance trails of all the other hunters, locate the parking lots, locate the crops whatever food sources that are in the area um you know those are like the basic i think just like from that standpoint find the direction of travel that the deer are moving to and from from those bedding locations um and you know like i used to do this quite a bit but i i kind of stopped now i do it for new pieces but you know especially with having onyx maps you know Every time I found something great, I always just marked a pin drop on the map, you know, on the area or, or GPS or, or, you know, a hand-drawn map myself. I would tell, you know, I remember when I first started, we didn't have Onyx maps or... Yeah, we were using or, the you know what I mean? topo maps yeah, that you got but, from the county. Well, yeah, you you know, you had them laminated, and so, you you know, I'd have marker, like permanent marker, and I had one that was like a, a reference guide, and the other was my markup guide, and like I'd had a little key at the bottom so when it was like a you know a buck rub by you know a little red mark or whatever it was and and then I kind of that's what I did and then you know once you kind of do that and you start to notice like a pattern you'll start to see like oh there's a these buck rubs lead like this way from this thick stuff to this crop field you know I mean and then all of a sudden you start you know, piecing puzzles together and you're like, okay, there's a lot of bedding over this way and there's a lot of scrapes over on the, you know, and excuse me, then you start kind of being able to correlate everything. And, um, and that's just at the basic level, you know what I mean? Like just the whole, like, okay, you know what I mean? Like just the kind of nuts and bolts that everybody knows. Everybody knows what a rub is for the most part. Everybody kind of knows what a scrape is. You know, they know what tracks look like. I think most people can determine the difference between a buck and a doe track now um, for the most part. Like, you know, well, it's, not a, it's not a hundred percent. I do, but I'm saying, you know, my dad still swears up and down. Ah, you don't know if that's a buck or a doe. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? But <laughs> um, and, and then, 
it gets more complex even to that, like, you know, because, like, you differentiate the difference between a buck turd and doe turds, you know what I mean? Like, and, right. and you know what those are. That. And, you know, and then then you start getting into the wind aspect of things and how to walk into a stand that you don't cross the deer's path before it gets to you. Um, you know, I don't really get real big on the scent control. Um not like I used to. I was a little crazy at one time. I think we all were kind of, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? I was washing and scent powders and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, and I still believe that you want to leave as the less amount of scent you can in an area as possible. But I don't believe that, you know, you're going to be able to completely eradicate that. That's just not possible. So I don't really worry about that so much anymore as much as I do the wind direction. Um and then, you know, once you figure that piece out, and that might take a couple seasons because, you know, you find a bedding area. Well, what time of the year is that bedding area going to be hot on? Um, you know, or where's the pressure coming from? You know, why would that deer be bedded there? And so, you know, you start asking yourself these questions, you know, the why questions and then you know and i always say just write the questions down and go out in the woods and actually think like if you were in survival mode like what you would do you know and if i was going to hide from someone where would i hide and then you know then i think as you start kind of progressing in that you start being able to differentiate between the difference of a of a any buck rub and a big buck rub yeah. or what age class deer you're chasing in that block of timber um you start you know with track size um you, you know a lot you know even the size of a of a buck turd it can make a big difference you know what i mean and 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 then um the size of a bed how big it is you know is there a bunch of hair in the bed um you know and and like we we're I don't want to preach against the single bed mentality, but I don't, I think you and I are in agreement on this, that we're more, uh, from what we see is more buck bedding, not buck beds. Right. And there are areas. multiple beds that have areas in them where the bucks could shift on wind pattern or, um, pressure. Um, some of them are non-wind specific, but they're still in that general area. And so once you start kind of <clears throat> figuring all that out, and I always say that if you take a mile block of timber, for the most part, 90% of that is worthless Yeah. to hunt, you know, and I'm not saying your best pieces, but just in general rule of thumb, 90% of it is, is really either nighttime activity where everybody else is going to be hunting and it's really only that 10% piece that you're really looking for where the deer are actually going to be living at and moving during daylight hours that you can attack. Mm -hmm. And I say that attack because that's, you know, when you move from private land mentality, which is kind of sit and wait for one to come by you, yeah. unless you got a big piece, but we're talking about a smaller chunk, you move to a piece of big public, it's attack mode. And, like, you have to know the difference between when to attack, you know what I mean, and also when to sit back and, and learn about your adversary. 
Mm. You know? So let's talk about that for a second. Cause that's one of the questions kind of, I have about that sit back and, and watch is until I got into this, you know, the beast style hunting, we'll call it, or, or I could be just hunting with a purpose. Um, I'd say 90% of my sits were observation sits and I didn't know it because I was never moving or deviating. I was like, Oh, I saw a bunch of deer here. Didn't see the deer that I wanted to. He was over there, but maybe tomorrow he'll come by or I'll move a little bit over here or there or whatever. And like I said, it was never hunting with a purpose. So I wasn't saying, okay, well, I'm going to go to this spot because I've been here before. I'd go to this spot because it was, and when I say I've been there before, it's because I scouted it and I knew what the deer were doing. It was just a year ago, this is what happened. So I know there's deer there, never a specific deer, never a specific class of deer. Um, And so that observation sit, when you're hunting with a purpose or you're in that attack mode, uh, public land attack hunting, how are you using those observation sits? How close are you getting? I mean, because some of the areas like where I'm thinking of, like where I'm trying to hunt, it's like I can't see far enough to where I would want to, where I'd want to be. So where, how far I mean, how are you using observation sits in a, a situational thing? Well, for me, if um, there's oak flats anywhere around, uh, observation sits, I I tend to stay out of the thickets, out of the bedding areas. Um, you know, starting off my season, you know, a lot of people say this, your season starts as soon as the previous season ends. And to some degree, that's that's true because that's where you're really gaining a lot of intel. But for me... You know, it's August. Um, I'm out battling the mosquitoes, setting up. There's no pressure whatsoever. Hunters haven't been out there at all. There's no scouting going on, no tree stand prep going on. And so these deer are just free to just do whatever they want, you know. And then you wind up getting those early oaks that start dropping once you find that. So... Like, as he was saying earlier, um, one of the very first things that I would do is I would actually go get on a map and look at the piece of property 3D and then look at the terrain. Figure out how do I read this terrain? What does it mean? And what is a saddle? What is a ridge? What is a finger? What is a point? So on and so forth. Once you figure that out, then you can start to realize deer are terrain-oriented animals. They don't just wander aimlessly. They may... You know, in the early season when there's abundant forage everywhere and cover. So once you get to that point where you're like, okay, well, I've got this narrowed down. My postseason scouting has led me to believe that there's a buck that I want to kill in here, whether it's a year and a half, two and a half, or on up. And once I start finding that sign, then it's like, okay, where are these deer feeding? And so there's a whole mental process that goes into this. So... I'm going into the feeding areas if there's ag around and there's soybeans. Soybeans and alfalfa are extremely hot in August and September. They're a big draw. So I'm looking over those. I'm watching those. Where's that deer coming in and out of? You know, um, early season, he's bedded right by the ag fields, you know. And if you want to get deeper into that, going into those oak flats, getting on the downwind side of those oak flats, something that you can see, you know, 150 200 yards 
start off there, set up a stand, or even just sit there and just watch and see what happens. Figure out where the deer are going. Bring your binoculars with you. Binoculars are huge. And then move in a little bit further the next time. And maybe a little bit further the next time. But it all goes back to that postseason scouting and the sign that you found, whether it's generational rubs, scrapes, you know, bedding, so on and so forth. You have that knowledge to say, okay, well, I already know this information and I know that there's oaks over here, so I'm just going to sit back and observe and always keep in the wind in your favor and, you know, don't, it's low impact at that point. You're not, I'm not aggressive at all. Um, Well, I would say a safe distance to observe is anywhere that you can oversee the bedding that doesn't come into contact with the animal's travel corridors to where you're trying to find his direction of travel. So let's say it's a small swamp. You know you scouted a bed down to the west side of it. You want to make sure that the wind is right and you want to be overlooking that bedding area to where in when it reaches that magic point, that last hour of dark up until you can't see anymore, you want to be able to see that bed or bedding if that deer's there and he's moving in daylight hours and you want to sit in an area that's probably you know, either no sign or other guys have hunted the crap out of it. So, you know, it's, 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 it's not interfering with that deer's bedding. I mean, that's the most important thing is you don't want to interfere with that deer's bedding. You don't want to violate them. So if you can sit back 500 yards and glass a deer, absolutely. Yeah. If it's 50 yards, hundred yards, that's it. If that's all the vantage you can get, you're trying to, get that that buck's travel pattern or his bedding or to make a move on him so in daylight hours because just because you sit over top of that bedding area and the signs telling you he's in there and it gets to be dark and you don't see him that doesn't mean that that buck's not in there right you know what i mean and i think a lot of people uh especially you know here understand that because they talk about deer going nocturnal well not they're nocturnal creatures anyways Uh, you know that's that's natural but they do move in daylight but it's a timing situation and that's probably the hardest part to explain to somebody because it's a visual thing it's a time in the woods kind of thing it's a takes a couple seasons to really figure it out um from from vantage points or from being able to read the sign um that you're seeing you know and and i think the biggest tool for me on a lot of the bucks that i've been able to pattern down and put together has been you know being in the woods number one is one of the most important things if you live with them you're yeah gonna kill them and being able to notice when i walked in that wasn't there yesterday you know, or something showed up that told me there's a deer here. You know, a, a, a f- giant fresh buck turd. I look on the ground and I'm like, you know, he's been here. That's not an old crusty one. He's been here recently. 
And it wasn't here, let's say, yesterday when I was spot checking or getting ready to observe this bedding area or whatever it might have been. Um, so that lets me know, like, okay, he's moving in, 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 uh, in dark. So this deer is going to take a little more observation for me before I can effectively go in and burn this out. Cause that's pretty much what you're doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and, and I don't subscribe to the philosophy and I don't think you do either, Leon, uh, that you can only hunt a bed one time or Absolutely a bedding area one time not. because my, I will, this is a, I think there's going to be some people mad at me for saying this and I don't, but it's the truth of the matter. Almost every single one of my bucks has came from re- repetitious pinpointing and betting. Yeah. I have gotten it right as I've gotten older and more experienced where them first time sits are, are golden. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's never really a first time set because I've already been sitting back observing. It might be the first time I moved in. But it's not really a first time sit, you know. I mean, to me, anyways. And- yeah, to take that a step for a little bit further is, you know, you understand when I'm when you're onto a big deer and you've got to have all this legwork down, all this time invested into it. That's the last thing I'm doing is giving up on that deer. I mean, I may come in and hunt the southeast corner one day and then turn right around and come in the south. I mean, until unless you have an absolute bulletproof entrance and exit you know, then you can use that same entrance and exit repetitively. But I'm, you know, you're, you're moving around the area, kind of hopscotching around And here in Michigan. There, we have variable winds all the time. I mean, here last I'm, year was horrible for them. Well, and I deal with it, it all the time. Me, it cost like me Michigan. two booners. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Like seriously, but no, I, you don't. Um, yes. And y'all heard that right. Two booners. <laughs> Legitly. And yeah, that, that is on video by the way. But, um, you know, so that's the last thing you want to do is just give up on that deer. So, you know, as an ex- as an example, you had said that you're going into this area. You know, if you start taking that exact same path, parking in the exact same parking lot, and you're repetitious with it, you're going to get busted. It just, those deer live out there. They know. They smell. They're not dumb. Where you start adding different things in the mix, you know. And a lot of people say, well, that stand's only good for southwest wind. Uh, I beg to differ with that. You know, you just come in from a different way on the northeast, you know. And does that require me that I have to be 30 feet up? Most of the time, yeah, especially in variable winds. You know, I have no problem going 30 feet up. If that's what it takes. I understand that my my kill zone is smaller because of the angle. But that's where you just trust your equipment and trust your own, you know, capabilities and i'm gonna that arrow's gonna go where i put it so that's not really an issue to me but yeah. i'm not giving up on i if i'm after a mature buck and well let's just say for the conversation piece because there's other people who have different standards a buck if i see him in daylight and he's moving why would i leave like why would i ever leave the bedding area that he, I'm visually seeing him and having encounters with him consistently with, why would I leave and go hunt somewhere else and try to locate a deer and start all over again yeah, when I want- have one moving in daylight hours that obviously 
hasn't went nocturnal and whatever moves I've been making haven't blown him out. I mean, it takes a lot to blow a deer out of a bedding area completely. It really does. I mean, and, and, and when I say that, I say that with a grain of salt because like you can easily blow one out though too. Right. If you're not, you know, if you're not smart about it, paying attention. Yeah. But for the most part, though, if you're sitting back and observing and you're making those moves and those counter moves and you're seeing him visually and maybe he, you know, because we played cat and mouse before. We, you know, we understand that sometimes he moved by that tree. I mean, I had that happen last year. I mean, what I called you right up when it happened to me, you know, last year I, I moved in on a buck. I had been seeing him very consistently almost every evening and i moved in on him and i sure enough i seen him that night but he he was 75 yards away from me so the next night i had the same wind and i was like okay you know what i mean i got you <laughs> i made the move to where i thought okay he was i knew he moved up by this specific spot so i made the move there Son of a bitch went right underneath the tree stand that I had the night before. Exactly. Like, to a T, I had to watch him for 20 minutes standing underneath of it. That's a big you know, it, it, you know, But it, it made me chuckle because it reminded me of the fact that, like, there are, you're in your, their domain. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they, and, and here's the thing. He didn't know I was there. He right. had no clue or he wouldn't even have came by. But the fact is he... You know, it all it takes is a little adjustment sometimes. It doesn't have to be a hundred yards. Right. It could be twenty. It right. could be you know, and, and the thing is 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 you know that if you have an encounter with a buck and let's say he comes just out of bow range and, and whatever bow range that is to everybody's different, but he comes just out of bow range, you have a decision to make. Do you want to move a little closer? Or do you want to take the chance that he might come by? Now, if he's 100 yards away, I'm making a move. Oh, yeah. I'm making a move because he's out of bow range. I, can, I mean, he's making. He's obviously not traveling down the same trail that I'm hunting, so I'm going to make a move. But if he comes in on me at like 55, 60 yards. Yeah, you're, in, you're still. And I'm like, okay, he's, he's close. I'll, I might come in the next night earlier in the day and I might move 10 or 15 yards. You know what I mean? Because that way I'm not really, because here's the thing. And this is what, you know, for you and I, we talk about this all the time. That buck might not be in the same exact bedding area. He was in yesterday. Like when I say bedding area, I mean the bed, like he, he might not be by Red Brush A, but he might be by the one twenty yards closer today. Right. You don't know a hundred percent, okay? Because there's nothing a hundred percent. Right. So if I'm in the game, you know, I might throw another like, all right, I'm gonna throw another hunt at this specific location with a slight move, you know, just slight move, and see what happens, you know, because sometimes you were right where you needed to be. And it's just for whatever reason, it could have been a squirrel, it could have been a doe, it could have been another buck, it could have been, you know, many different reasons that he, instead of taking the split left, he took the split right and he just walked 10 yards out of your bow range. You know, and in those situations, that's one of those time, you know, in the woods kind of thing, because ultimately you want to be at the split. 
So when he goes to make a decision left or right, doesn't matter. You it's got him. Late. You know what I mean? Right. That's right. You got him. But without knowing that, and as a first time person, you know, learning that aspect, like, you know, if you charge in guns blazing, like, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and you're going to get educated really quickly on whitetails. Definitely. Yeah. Really quickly. Because I'm going to tell you, man, when you put all that hard work in and, you know, we still do it. I know we do. I mean, I that's how I killed my buck this year, you know, is I got greedy and I moved a little too close to the bedding area and he come busting out of there about 60 yards from me. He didn't smell me because I was playing the wind, but he saw me. I told him about it literally when it happened. I knew my hunt was pretty much over. You know, yeah, you know, I've heard about the bump and dump, and I'm not saying it doesn't work, but, you know, I was pretty sure he wasn't coming back. Right. Not then, not that night, you know. Right. And I had said if I get the right wind condition, um, I had a pretty good feeling how far back this bedding area was that, I could catch him coming back to bed in the morning, and so I sat up about 40 yards from his bed in the morning that, you know, came in two two mornings later, because I had to wait, the wind wasn't right, and two mornings later, and I mean, within, what, 10 minutes of daylight, I was calling you up and said, dude, I just stuck him. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and everybody had told, told me, like, oh, he's not coming back, like, no. Why would you say, you know what I mean? Why? Why? Well, just because he ran off? Like, there's a different, you know, you have to be able to read a deer's body language, too. You know what I mean? If they smell you, it's different than if they just see you and you bust them out. Like, you kind of surprise them. They visually saw you. And, you know, how many times have we been standing in the woods and you just, you're walking, then you stop, and all of a sudden a deer was going to let you walk by, but it got in antsy because you stopped and you had no idea it was there. And takes off booking out. Right. You know, that deer's going to be back. You know what I mean? The ones that smell you, they're long gone. Yeah. Them or, mature bucks or bigger bucks that smell you, they're gone way before they the, visually have to see you. At the very least that they're going to do, next time they come into that area, they're going to be 45, 50, 90, 100 yards downwind, scent checking that as they roll through. Yeah, which, I mean, you know, and then, but that's, you know, so knowing when to make the right move really is about being able to visually see the buck number one because i'm not i don't i don't know about you but if if the sign doesn't tell me that the buck is there even if it's one of my better spots that i've hunted for years and i know really well i go in there and, and there's no mature sign or the buck i'm after sign um i won't sit and spin my wheels anymore oh no i'm out I'm, I'm, I won't even hang a stand and hunt that night. No, I'm finding the hot spot. You know what I mean? I, I that's exact. I'm, I'm moving somewhere else. My time it is might, more valuable observing walk, another one exactly. that I may be on. Walk the transition line, you yeah. know, and 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 I think that's what a lot of guys are afraid to do too. They make that long trek if that's a, what it is through the swamp. They're sweating. They're dying. You know, they get back to the spot that they're really super excited about, and you know they scouted in in the postseason, and it showed there was some bedding there. And they get back there, and there's hardly any tracks. There's no buck tracks that they're seeing, and there's no sign in there when they get in there, and they're disappointed. You know, I've been there. I've done it many times. Oh, yeah. Instead of hanging a stand and forego a hunt and just giving up and saying, you know, because in a way you're saying, well, you know, I'm already here. 
walk that transition find the sign. and find the sign you know and if it's not there you know, At drive up and down know. the yeah, drive up and down the yeah. roads and start finding some really good runways going across. Follow them in. You know what I mean? And that's a really that's a, really for someone who's just learning, especially to hunt. The best way to find the bedding is walk the runways. Yeah, it'll lead you right in there. You know what I mean? That's the great thing about them is they'll lead you right to those thick areas. You're gonna bump some deer. What? You can't be afraid to bump some deer. I figure. And from my perspective, someone who has early on in my teenage years, you know, embarked on a 5,000 acre public land chunk, you get in there, you get lost and, you know, you get turned around, it gets intimidating. So, you, you know, for me, um, I want to go in, very first thing I want to do is learn how to read maps. You know, I, I that is the most important part because once you see that map 3D, then you can now have a different image in your brain and you can say to yourself, okay, well, I, based off of what I've seen, I know I'm here or I'm here or I'm there, or even in your mind, you can break it down into chunks and then going in there, like Jay said, you know, get on them deer trails, start walking them deer trails, figure these things out. If you know, if you have a smartphone and that's what you're using, then just go ahead and do it. Bring an external battery pack with you, you know, compass and dive into these places and, and figure them out and find that sign. And once you find it, make sure you mark it. And if, if your goal is to kill your very first buck period, maybe that's a spike corner or fork or six point, you know, the same principle. You don't supply. have to go in there and find chest high, you know, thigh size rubs. You just go in there and start finding rubs and find some scrapes and find some food. And, you know, those younger deer bed completely different than them older deer. So that's how I would start it is definitely by maps. And then, to, of course, drive the perimeter. It's extremely important to drive the perimeter of the property. And so from that observation standpoint, and we, touched on it before the podcast a little bit um so you kind of probably know where i'm going with this there's going to be a lot of people or new hunters or um lazy hunters i don't know to say well why can't i just do that with a camera or you know can't i just locate these deer or do all this stuff with a camera so how are you guys using cameras and what are some people some ways that people are probably using cameras wrong or incorrectly I think I'm going to stay away from the using cameras <laughs> wrong uh, aspect of it. Um, you want me to touch off on this? Well, you're you're the one who uses cameras a lot more than I do when it comes to that. I just would like to say my personal take, and I think I'm going to piss a lot of people off on this, is that it's not that you can't use cameras just you can't check them right every two or three days every week every two weeks because every time you intrude in that area to check a camera you're leaving you're pressuring the deer yeah. effectively let's just say what it is it's you're pressuring the deer Whether it's and you're manip- sight, yes scent, you're manipulating their movement patterns yep. you know so that's the only thing that I would say, like, if you're going to use cameras, you can learn a lot from cameras, but use them as a either a period, say, early season intel, 
pre-rut intel, rut intel, late season intel, or secondary rut, however you want to classify it, and leave it for periods if that's what you want to do. But check it when the conditions like rainy days or, you know, at least the wind's good where it's not blowing into the bedding and and just a swap of a card, you know, and be gone. Yeah. You know, and, and be done with it. But I, you know how I feel about cameras. So it's really, to me, they're designed for a whole season's worth of Intel. You know, and I'm working on you. I'll change your perspective on that. It's I not promise. that. Listen, it's not that I don't. It's not that I don't like them because you know I do. I they have a role, right? But they're damaging. They can be damaging if using. If not, I mean, there's so many other aspects to it too. That they cost money if they get stole. You're hunting public land, and I mean, I ain't trying to say this in a bad way, but I mean. I'm killing them without them. You know what I mean? Right. So to speak. So it's not like you can't. Right. Or it's impossible. But this is where I'm going to let you take off. Uh, okay. <clears throat> um, my take on cameras, and this is all through trial and error, is uh, like Jay touched off on, is the, um, you know, the education of deer. It's the last thing I want to do is educate any of the animals that I want to get an arrow in. Um, so... With that in mind, um, I'm going to start from the end of 2018 season, okay? End of 2018 season, January 1st, season closed here. I went out, pulled my cameras, took all my cards out, took all the batteries out, took the cameras, took and put them in a uh, tub of activated carbon, uh, just sprinkled in the bottom of it because I don't want... Uh, scent is probably your biggest enemy when it comes to cameras and the, you know, oils from your fingers and stuff. So the cameras go in there. Then I go through the SD cards and I'll get into that here in just a few minutes. But, um, so now you fast forward all summer long. I don't really use, I only use, I don't need summer inventory because travel patterns are different here in Michigan. I hunt pressured deer. I hunt pressured beds, pressured areas. And so, you know, come October 1st, I have um, a bunch of batteries. I have a bunch of my SD cards. Everything's been cleared out. Um, I pretty much open up my tub, put all new batteries in them, put SD cards in them, make sure the date and time stamps are correct, put them back in the activated tub, carbon tub. And then I also have uh, latex gloves, and I use a backpack that is specifically designated for my trail cameras. And so you start getting into the middle of August and you realize that September 1st or September, middle of September, somewhere in that September time frame, there's just going to be this huge spike in hunters coming into the woods and setting tree stands and doing scouting and, you know, whatever it is that they want to do. So by you typically by the middle of August, I have these uh, cameras that are set up and uh, I usually hang them in a tree so if they're pointing down that does a couple different things for me it um takes away the um sun glare for the most part because now the camera is actually angled down and when i'm doing this i'm covering specific trails for a reason 
um, I'm covering the trails that are going in and out of these pressured beds. Now, keep in mind that middle of August, not all that pressure has happened in the woods yet, so these deer haven't been pushed back into these pressured beds. So I'm setting this up beforehand. So um, most of the time I'm doing it close to dark. Um, I'm doing it before a rainstorm. And uh, I never touch those cameras without latex gloves because your oils will give you away every time. So I go into my particular spots, whether it's beds or, you know, trails coming in and out of. I never set cameras up on a food plot because that's just going to lead you with 2,000 pictures of does and, you know, whatever. I, that's just not the intel I want to gather. So take a set of cameras, and they're there all year. I don't use cheap SD cards. I don't use cheap batteries. And so those cameras are there all year long, whether it's my emailing cameras or it's my regular cameras. I let them soak. And so I'm not going in there checking them. I'm not putting any pressure on the deer. And I'm gathering, man, I think the highest I've ever had was 700 pictures. So I don't really care if the batteries die. You know, um, all, what I'm concerned about is that unmolested intel. And so getting these pictures and batteries die, season progresses, then all of a sudden the season ends. I go out there, pull my cameras again, pull the SD cards, reverse everything that I just said, pulling all the batteries and stuff out of them. That's extremely important because nothing kills a trail camera faster than batteries sitting in, sitting in them. So then once I get the SD cards I, that are pulled out, you know, most of the time you can recognize a spot. If you have to take and do something and you're testing your camera, you can do stand one, stand two, and you just do it with your fingers. And um, put those SD cards in, in your camera and you start going through them. Pick the pictures of the deer that you want more information on, whether that's a fork horn or, you know, a 180 class deer. And you start to flag each one of those pictures in your file. So in that way, you can get back to them rather quickly. And then whatever other pictures I have, I just completely delete them. I don't want them anymore. So once I do that, then I go into Weather Underground, click on the History tab, and type in my geographic location. I type in the date and the time, the stamp that's on the camera. And that, for the most part, gives me wind direction. It, um, so now you have date, time, wind direction. So let's I've had it before where you take and set these cameras in, in a camera in a pressured bed or pressured bedding area and you know I've camera bombed this thing. I've got this you know, this year I was actually after my largest buck and you know, I just camera bombed the snot out of this place. Any trail that he was coming in and out of, I had it covered. I got zero pictures of that deer. And that's a risk that you take. But you definitely, you know, there's a time and a place if that's what you have is private land and that's what you're hunting, then, yeah, go ahead and put those cameras on the edge of, you know, the food plot or, you know, your ag fields or whatever. Just be smart about how you're doing it. You know, check them before rain. Leave them, you know, or maybe you check them from the quad or from your golf cart or, you know, whatever, wearing rubber boots and, you know, but try to be smart in how you're using them and not just every single day or every two weeks going out there and pulling that cart because that's all you're doing is educating that deer. And those those mature bucks, I mean, even at that, those two-and-a-half-year-old deer are going to put up with that, you know. And so during that time, you're hunting 
around these cameras or whatever. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. A lot of times what I'll end up doing is, you know, I'm okay, so I have a, a piece that I'll take 2018 as an example. Um, I was hot after this deer, hot, 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 and this was all based off of intel that I've had off of him for the last four and a half years. And I decided I was going to camera bomb this complete different spot that I knew that I wasn't even going to hunt that year. And the reason why I wasn't going to hunt it is because I knew the the sign was there. The scouting told me that the big buck sign was there, but I didn't know enough about it. And so I wanted, rather than just going in there, I still hunted that spot a couple times, but I didn't hunt it with passion because I didn't have the intel. So it was either sit back these observation stands and, you know, kind of play it cool and outside in approach or you know, hunt a deer that you're onto that you know about that you have all this intel from. So, you know, a lot of times I'm setting those cameras in spots that I have absolutely no intention of hunting this year because I need more information. And I'm self-employed, a large family. You know, I just don't have time to go chasing something that I have zero intel on. So you're just creating a catalog and something for for next year or for the future you're just get, gaining information so rather than i would say the way that every uh, that i've always seen cameras used is like you put them out there i mean you get you guys come public land you walk by and there's a tree stand right there and there's a camera right there right well and, first and foremost we don't hang our cameras at eye level no he's just <laughs> yeah. saying in general yeah, right, i'm just know, saying yeah. like the way that they're that i generally see them and everybody loves to have the pictures and that's why you're getting oh, all yeah, these nocturnal pictures and you're it not could be addicting yeah. yeah. And so you're just saying, okay, well, I've got like, so for my personal situation is like the spot that I just went into this year, just to kind of do what you guys are talking about and learn it and sit and try and figure out these deer. I, if I would have had another deer or another area that I wanted to hunt, which there was a spot like that where I, that I didn't hunt at all because I was tr trying to focus on this piece. If I had just went in there in August, hung a bunch of cameras, hunted everywhere else went back in there and picked them up, I would have probably been a lot further ahead than maybe where I am right now. That's a double-edged sword, if yeah. you ask me, because, <clears throat> you know, I ran cameras, too. Uh, it's been probably six or seven years since I've ran them. Um, but I don't want people to get confused, because you can run cameras and hunt that year in those locations as well. Yeah. I think what we need other people to understand that are listening is that in Leon's situation, he has X amount of spots to hunt. So for him to be able to find a location that he doesn't really know a whole lot about and that's going to take, say, half a season or a season to learn instead of giving up his other spots that he knows that produce or have the potential he's leaving a camera soaked there all year as if he was sitting there huh. and trying to gain as much intel as he can so next year when he's i guess you'd say filtering out what spots you want to hunt and yeah. what areas you want to focus on if there's something that jumps off the page at him as saying, you know, wow, there was a shooter here 
half the season and you know more than likely he'll be there again or another one will be there i've seen how he moved it gives him a chance to go in there and sit in observation stand or have a potential chance you know without diminishing any of the other spots that he knows so if it's somebody who doesn't have a lot of spots and you're new to an area and it's your first season you know leave the camera soak there yeah but make some moves too yeah you know what i mean and, and because you're also when you're not there you're getting camera intel photos so let's say this new location that you decided to hang four or five cameras up and you're hunting around this bedding area trying to pinpoint a buck and at the end of the year you don't tag him you're frustrated you pull your sd cards and this buck was showing up 20 minutes after daylight right after you left an hour after you left you gained valuable intel there because in a way you beat yourself up all season long but he was there yeah you know what i mean so if you have a a a, a good deal of spots proven spots or you know you get on a buck you know it allows you to chase that deer or those spots that produce by still gaining intel on a new spot that could potentially work its way in your circuit or maybe it's a wind specific spot right for you know i find could personally be a for seasonally me specific yeah spot. i find personally a lot of my spots that i hunt tend to be best on the same wind yeah and and i think it and i'm not 100 percent. i have to look back at my notes but i think it's a south wind that kills me most of the time on a, finding a good spot to hunt a buck on a south wind and so <clears throat> sometimes it's nice to be able to find that spot excuse me <clears throat> where you can hunt the south wind without blowing out the other spots that you're hunting and still have a you know a legit chance at yeah at, at killing a deer you know because there's so many uses for the cameras well one and thing, how to use them one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to fall for the misconception that these cameras are um, giving you the entire picture right because it's just a small fraction of all the terrain so you know you still have to take and do your observation stits. You still have to take and, you know, there's still things that once I find the bucks in that area, you know, uh, I'm, I'm cranking it up even more. I mean, as far as observation, since I can see so much more than that camera will ever give me. I mean, that camera's only giving me just that small window. So you got to kind of, once you find an animal, then the game changes. Then it's really just about, I mean, you're taking that information that you have, you have the wind direction, you have the time, you have the date, you know, because I have a lot of my beds are extremely time specific. I have early season. I have, then there's pressured beds. You go into the rut beds, you go into the late season beds. And I need to know when that deer is in there because I mean, he can lay down a lot of sign in a week's time, 
I mean, especially if he's aggressive, he can lay down a lot of saying, well, I want to know that. And I can, my eyes can cover more than that camera ever will. And I think one of the, the big things that I think need, needs to be expressed too, because it's not just in the cameras, but it just kind of came to my mind as we were talking about the cameras is that most successful hunters are very organized. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they're they're meticulous. I mean, they have a way of. It, I I always say, find your system, the system that works for you. You know, to how you pack your pack, to knowing what number camera or what cameras in what location, and keeping separate files for it. You know, breaking it down by wind direction, and I know it seems like a lot. Because it is. I mean, it takes hours to do this. You know what I mean? And and, and and it might seem like a lot of people like that will say, like, man, I don't want to go through all that to, to kill a deer. I mean, okay. I, under, I understand because a lot of people are time, you know, they don't have a lot of time in the woods to be able to do all that. And, I, and, I, and you know, that's whether they think that the cameras kind of make up for lost time. And they can. Right. But you're only getting, you know, what the best cameras shoot 90 feet, you know, right, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? So out of a whole section, you're getting 90 feet of, of, of a visual snapshot. Well, when you take six of those cameras and you put them around an area. Right. You're still limited. Right. Well, I mean, and you know this, I mean, you know, I, I can tell you one of the bucks I shot. I I got one photo of him in four and a half years, and it was one side of his antler as a year and a half old buck, and he had the same characteristic, and I I I ran cameras in the same place. I never saw him, and four and a half years later, I ended up shooting him, and it was one hundred percent. I mean, without a doubt, it was him, and he you know, but he vanished like a ghost, so to speak. And I had almost given up on that deer because I wasn't getting very, I wasn't getting cam photos of him, but he was there the whole time. It's right. just, he wasn't walking by where I sat my camera at. And if it wouldn't have been for the time in the woods aspect of it, or visually sitting the observations or doing what we're talking about, I don't think I would have ever killed that deer. You know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, if, um, my bride hunts a lot with me, and um, I tend to save a lot of the private land for her. And she's baby. Yeah, she <laughs> is. She's very spoiled. She gets the best spots. <laughs> but if I set these cameras at waist high, chest high, on public land, that deer will walk through, and he'll look right at that camera. It doesn't matter if that camera's off to the side. For whatever reason, I don't know why, and it may be the mounts that I'm using, but I know it's not an older thing. But he'll look right at that camera. But if I set that camera and do the exact same thing on private land, that deer doesn't care. He not even. I mean, unless there's something that drew him to that camera, he, he can walk right to that camera and just not even care about it. So, of all the things that I wanted to cover, you know, Entrance and exit, um, observation sits, pixie dust of hard work and, and everything. Um, 
as your progression, because I know, you know, if you listen to Jason on a bunch of other podcasts, he kind of talks about the progression, how they, him and his dad kind of found the, the beast and, and they were already doing a lot of the stuff and it just kind of put a lot of like-minded people together for you, Leon, what was that progression as a hunter for, I mean, did you always hunt the same way with the, the work ethic and, and everything, or, or was it just you're sick and tired of seeing what you were seeing, so you try to figure it out, or, or how did your progression as a hunter bring you down this this path? I, um, I was fortunate enough that, uh, quite honestly, of all people, my mom took me hunting. Uh, my dad was always working. And, you know, we did the bait pile thing and stuff like that, and then eventually I started to, to get older, and um, my uh, girlfriend from high school actually moved out to this um, county that actually had an abundance of public land. And so it was driving back and forth that I just kept seeing these absolutely massive deer standing on the side of the road, you know, crossing the road, standing in the fields. And, you know, someone who, you know, had shot year and a half old bucks nothing with any consistency i mean I'm, back then i was even lucky to even shoot a doe and so i can remember you know telling my dad i was like dad there's this there's this public land out here that i found and, and i just keep seeing these big deer that are crossing the road and i want to go check it out and little did i know how big that piece of public actually was and we got so lost that day oh my word um but that is an experience that I'll never forget. And so walking through that piece of public, I realized that, man, this is thick, thick, thick from beginning to end. And, you know, the saw briars and stuff in there. I mean, I came out of there with some a lot of battle scars that day. and So I, I started gravitating more toward that th- thicker areas. And then I started, at that point, I would bump into other guys, older guys in the parking lots and stuff like that there, and I would just have conversations with them. And, you know, they were telling me, oh, you know, you need to get away from those field edges. They're killing you. Get away from those field edges. I mean, there's a time and a place for it, but out here, stay away from the field edges. So I started putting a lot more boots on the ground, and I can remember on a few different occasions, my dad looking at me and telling me, you need to quit with this hunting stuff, you know, it's taking up too much of your time. And I just didn't see it that way, you know. I mean, for me, I loved it. I loved the tranquility and the peacefulness that came with it and just kind of being alone. And um, so going in and continuously scouting that piece and spending the time in there, I was always spending more time out in the woods with my friends. And so... Eventually, you wind up getting to this place where, you know, you're reading the sign. And, you know, back then I was watching a lot of the entertainment hunting and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I did this piece of public. I was seeing a lot of big rubs, rubs like I had never seen on TV before or, or any of the public that I'd hunted when I was younger. And so I really started becoming intrigued by this. And so I, at that point, I found out about going to the county um, and having them print off topographic maps, aerial photos. I mean, to this day, I still have you walk into my old house. And this is before 
you know, electronics and technology came about, and I literally had walls of maps. Walls. <laughs> and you know, people would walk in there, and they look at that wall, and they're just like, holy cow, man, you're a different level. And not that I was, I just was hungrier than most people. I wanted to learn, I wanted to know. And so I started bed hunting, um, but I didn't realize I was bed hunting. I just realized that the biggest rubs and the most sign and the most sightings that I had happened to conjugate around the thickest stuff that was in the thicket, you know? So it was a thicket within a thicket, essentially. And so once that started to happen, I started really dissecting these thick areas and getting into them and, you know, not letting a wall of briar stop me and going around it, figure out how, how am I, how am I going to get in there? These deer are getting in there. I need to figure out how I need to get in there. And so that's when I really started paying attention to clear cuts, started paying attention to swamps, you know, seeing those, uh, that big sign coming in and out of there and knowing that that's what I was after and that's what I wanted to kill. And, um, yeah, it's uh, so I've been hunting public land all my life or all my hunting career for the most part since I've been able to drive. And but <laughs> uh, um, now, I mean, I I have opportunities on uh, private land, and I can tell halfway through the season, or you know, that start getting into that second week of October, and I can. It's almost like my soul is crying out to get into that public land. Because I tell you, I mean, I've killed bucks on public and I've killed bucks on private. And there is absolutely nothing more rewarding on this planet than wrapping your hands. I mean, I'll, if I had a four-and-a-half-year-old deer on private and a three-and-a-half-year-old deer on public, the the feeling that comes with shooting a deer of that caliber, even though it's a younger age class, on a public land, that's addicting. That's to me. That's more addicting than than just whitetail hunting, period. But when you can do that on public land, oh yeah, yeah. So, hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, for guys that are just stepping out and kind of to like to kind of close this out a little bit, for guys that are first stepping out on public land, what would be like the number one, two, and three thing, like Leon and Jason? I guess not focus in on or, or focus in on, you know, I think I I found it myself is like, you try and get as far away from people as you can. And then you find people there and you've walked right past some good stuff, you know? So for someone just venturing out for, for that first public land for that teenage Leon, that's now listening to this or, you know, following you guys along, what are those main main things? Very first thing I would do is I would figure out how to interpret maps, aerial and topographic. Hillmap.com, um, you know, Google Earth, create an account on Google Earth. Don't just wing it. Don't just click on it or whatever. Actually create an account. It opens up a completely different world to you. Pick up books that talk about how, what a saddle is, what a point is, you know, what a cut is or draw or, you know, figure out this terminology and um, definitely look at maps. That would be number one. Uh, Number two, um, obviously, once you have those maps is get out there and just grind it out, cover every square inch of that land. 
And if you can't do that, if you can't invest that kind of time, which a lot of kids at a young age can't do that because of lack of finances, um, then at least go in and, and, and pay attention to the terrain. You know, whether it's a transition line from, you know, a, a thicket to mature hardwoods or if it's a point or a saddle or you have multiple points or, or ridges that all come together and dump down into one spot and just, just find that sign of something that you're wanting to kill. Don't get hung up yet on, don't trip over the tape measure to get to the deer. I think that's that's the best phrase that I could give. Enjoy it. Really, don't don't try to become an elite bow hunter or a deer hunter by skipping all these steps because it's not going to happen because you're really depriving yourself. So number one would be maps. Number two would put uh, boots on the ground. <sighs> number three, I would have to say would be quality equipment. Buy once, cry once. You know something that you're that's that's going to last you a long time. You know these. They may work for other people, but these, you know, cheap $49, $59 stands, just they're not going to cut it when it comes to they're going to make noise and so on and so forth. So that would be the three things that I would do. Um, three things I would not do. Um, I would not get discouraged by the presence of other hunters. Um, you're hunting public land. You're going to have to deal with them. Um, you know, let them walk past you. If worst case scenario, I mean, if everyone's getting out there a half hour before daylight and they're leaving by nine, nine fifteen, hunt the ten to two, stay there, you know, then um, definitely spend a bunch of time in the woods. Um, I would not fall for the gimmicks and gadgets, absolutely not. You know, I've wasted so much time, effort, and energy on the gimmicks and gadgets and the scents and blah blah blah. I uh, would not go down that road again, and. Uh, Number two, don't walk this path. Or number three would be don't walk this path alone. Bring someone with you, whether it's a mentor. You learn more when you teach. I mean, even when you don't know a lot and you're walking through the woods with someone who also wants to hunt with you or wants to learn how to hunt, you know, go share that information with them. It puts you in a different perspective and your mind in a different perspective when you're teaching others or you're showing others as well. Don't, yeah, don't walk it alone. Enjoy the hunt. Enjoy the journey. You know, I spent too many years being a lone wolf, <laughs> and uh, there's a lot that came with it, but there's a lot of regrets that came with it as well. Jason? Um, so I would say the number one thing to me not to do would be to give up. Um, don't get frustrated and give up. Lose patience with uh with the learning curve you know just stay consistent do the best you can and you know keep trying because if you can't kill them on the couch you know it's just not gonna happen um <clears throat> the number two thing that i think that um most i, I would say is is really detrimental is is believing all the hype and all of the gadgets that are out there. I think a lot of people do that and they feel like that's going to take place of hard work. And, you know, that new, whatever it might be is, 
is going to lead to success. And I think a lot of people are, are left grasping straws at the end, you know, in that, in that realm. Um, the, the third thing that I think that is probably one of the worst things that someone could do is bite off more than they can chew. And if you attack an area, you know, if you're, if you're learning an area, learn the area. You can't learn eight different areas at the same time because you can't be in eight different areas at the same time. And, you know, I know trail cameras can definitely speed the curve, but, you know, learn one area like the back of your hand because that deer knows that area like you know your house. You don't got to turn a light on to go to the bathroom. You know when something's been moved, it's the same thing for them. So you need you know, to really not bite off more than you can chew and, and learn an area before you write one off and say it's no good, you know, so to speak. Um, for the top things to do, I guess, I think the number one thing is to know the area that you're hunting. And, and that goes hand in hand with is it holding the quality animal that you're after? you know, is knowing all the food sources, educating yourself, I guess. It's just along the lines of, like, making sure that you know everything there is to know about an area and all of the the puzzle pieces. You might not know how to put them all together, but as long as you have them and you can understand them, then it goes a long way. You know, and that's, to me, that's like the number one thing is, you know, knowing an area, knowing everything about it, knowing that a caliber of deer exists in that area that you're going after from the sign or whatever. I think the number two thing that is is the most important to me is um, having quality equipment to get the job done, whether that be a tree stand or your bow and having the confidence, because I think that goes a long way with a lot of us hunters. You'll notice that we're confident in the equipment that we use. It gives you that feeling that you're not second guessing. The last thing I want to do when I'm drawing down on a buck is be worried about whether I have a quality broadhead or whether I have a my D loop's going to come off or my release isn't going to work. You know, you don't have we're already running through a million things through our mind. The last thing I want to think about is my equipment, whether it, you know, I go to stand up out of my tree stand, it makes a squeak or, you know, bumps the deer after I did everything I needed to do to get to that position and then blew it because my equipment failed me. And I think the number three thing to be honest with you is to enjoy the journey, you know, and embrace the fact that it's not going to be easy on public land, you know, and, and, and a lot of private too, but, you know, embrace the fact that it's, it's, it's a journey and it's, it's, it's supposed to be fun and it's going to have times where you're going to be frustrated. And, um, but, you know, I think what draws us back is that, you know, that, that one time it's almost like in golf when you might, you can hit 20 horrible shots and then, you hit one drive and you just stand there like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like I just, you know, it's kind of like that with bow hunting too, because, you know, or hunting in general, you know, you might sit 20 times in a row and be so frustrated 
and 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 you know what I mean. And then all of a sudden, boom, you have a great day where four or five bucks show up, and you know it just seems like deer were moving all over the place, and it just sparks that thing like that drive and passion to get back out there again and and to do it. And 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 I think surrounding yourself with people who are like minded and and also have fun, not having somebody who brings you down or jealous of success or you know will stab you in the back to try to kill the deer you're after or burn your spot before you do you know and 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 i think that all kinds of goes in line with having the fun because you know successful people hang out with successful people and if you want to get better challenge yourself and and that should be a fun thing to do with your you know, like as in me and Leon, like we challenge ourselves all the time against each other and it's in, it's in jest and it's in fun, but it it's made my hunting the last couple of years a far more enjoyable, uh, because I have somebody that shares in my passion as well. And, um, you know, we speak the same lingo. So, you know, even while we're a little different, we're also a lot the same and we have fun when we're with each other. That's not an argument. It's not a, you know, I know more than you. I've killed more bucks than you or my, I've got a bigger buck than you. It's not about that. You know, it's, it's just about the camaraderie and the enjoyment. And, you know, I, I think, I mean, I think we say the same thing after every time we hunt together, like, man, it was a blast. I can't wait to do it again. Right. You know what I mean? That's I think that's important. You know, you know, I think people get too caught up in like, you know, what, you know, there's, there's not some like buck rubs aren't as important or, I mean, that stuff falls in line when you educate yourself about the area, but you know, having fun is the biggest reason why a lot of us are doing it because why do we all show up to the expo shows? Why do we do the podcasts? Why do we do what we do? You know, do the videoing and aspect because we're enjoying it. We're having fun doing it. And if you're not having fun doing something, I mean, to me, you're not going to be successful. You're, you're gonna not be miserable. Yeah, you're going to be negative. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. it, you know, and it, it just, it, I want to every time I step in the woods, have a smile on my face enjoy the time I'm out there, even if I'm working and sweating and, and, and having somebody along with me that wants to be there, you know, that's important to me. Huge, huge thing for me. And I think that that goes a long way with success with a lot of people, you know, because, you know, I don't know if you've ever been around it, Adam, but you know, a bad attitude can drag a, a, a awesome hunting trip or weekend right down to the ground you don't even want to be in the stand you know what i mean right. you don't even want to be there you know and, and not only that but your mind's not focused on what you need to be focused on which is 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 you know all the little details that lead you to the success part of it you know like you know and enjoying that aspect i i just think that that's a super super important thing you know i know it's not a something i think that most people would think or you know would for the educational purpose like there's not you know like a, a materialistic aspect of it but i think that it's just huge goes a long way in that so you know that's that's how i feel well yeah i mean i i appreciate this so much you guys coming out here and, and taking the time to to talk with me tonight and 
through all of this, you know, I'm sitting down here with guys that have killed more big deer than I've ever seen in my life. And not once did it come come out, come across that inches or age class or anything like that. It was the most important things was to have fun, enjoy the journey and enjoy the people that you're with, you know? So that just speaks to kind of like the, the type of gentleman that you guys are. And, you know, from Leon, from your point of view, from someone who was so close to the vest, um, I think it speaks volumes to what doing this project from bed to dead kind of means to you from being by yourself, that lone wolf, you know, for, for such a long time, you know, I think that that's, it's truly great, you know, putting the information out there and, and letting the listeners know, you know, kind of all of this knowledge that you've been kind of harnessing here for years and years and years to become so successful. So I really do appreciate it on, you know, from, from both of you. Um, so where can they follow along with kind of like what you're doing uh, from bed to dead and what do you have coming up here in the, in the future? Well, um, we're on Facebook and we're on Instagram and uh, uh, we are in the process of editing a lot of our footage down and uh, that's where the perfectionist side comes in with me. Um, I don't want to release, um, I want quality footage out there so people can understand and it really does take a lot of time uh, to put all the pieces together. I mean, we just filmed, you know, a couple hours worth of film today at the piece that we were at, you know, and, and I haven't even got a chance to go through and break it down and decide what all has to be done. So, right. whether you know, or not we we're will going to get 20, 30 yeah, minutes yeah, out of two hours. Yeah, exactly. Know? Without, you know, going through it because we, we, we want to help, you know, put good content out there. So, you know, our YouTube channel will be coming up. Um, I will admit I am not the most savvy when it comes to the technology aspect of it. Um, but I'm learning and I think that's it. You know, I know people probably might get a little frustrated because we don't have a lot more content, but it's coming. You know, it's definitely way it's going to be well before the season comes that we're going to be doing a lot of informational pieces and a lot of our footage from last year are, are going to come out. You know, we're probably not going to throw like some, I don't know, like hour, hour and a half DVD, DVD <laughs> thing because that's not us. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, we're probably, you know, what I plan on doing is once the season starts, once we get all of our scouting and some DIY stuff and some techniques and whatnot, and we get that out there. Um, we are going to start trying to maybe every other week releasing our hunts for the year and what they entailed, our encounters, you know, so people can kind of see when things are heating up and, and, and you know, what had happened and kind of like a follow along aspect of it. But it's going to have the instructional setup. It's going to have the, you know, explanations why it's not just going to be a, hey, guys, this is Jason or Leon from Bed to Dead. We're sitting here and all of a sudden a deer walks in and we shoot it and we get all pumped up and we go track it. And you know what I mean? Like, because I don't feel like anybody's really learning anything from that. You know, so that's kind of what we're trying to stay away from. Um, and... um 
you know, I have been a lot more active on the Instagram and the Facebook and, and I know Leon, you have been too, you know, trying to, to post things. We just did the thing with our Missouri scouting trip. We have a scouting trip coming up in Kentucky, um, the second week in April, and we're going to be there for three days. We're going to do a breakdown just like how we did before, uh, how much it costs, um, where we're staying, all the relative things that we feel like is important for someone who's wanting to save money, but also be able to have the opportunity to maybe have a haunt of a lifetime in an area. And realize that it's not as expensive as what yeah, you it's, think it's it is. It's definitely an affordable. That's, you know, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's for everyone, you know, that right. potentially. And... Um, we, uh, we have another podcast that's coming up. Um, uh, it's got to get scheduled. Um, and you know, we're trying to get out there and educate as many people as we can. Um, and so we, we, we want people to feel free. We, we have lots of people that message us every week with questions. We answer everything. Mm-hmm. I don't, we've never not answered somebody like we always want to answer them. So, you know, hit us up on Facebook, um, check us out on Instagram, um, you know, and I will be releasing, um, we're shooting for like the end of May, maybe early June for when our videos start popping out, you know, when we start getting some stuff together uh, more and we we do do some videos and stuff like that on our stuff but um, most of our last years you know catch everybody back up and um, you know just feel free to contact us you know I know Leon doesn't mind you messaging him I don't mind you messaging me I left my number uh, my phone number I've had many people contact me off of it and um, you know if you're whether you're someone who is a quote unquote elite level hunter, um, or you're just somebody new starting out and you, and you know, no stupid question, you know, no questions, a stupid question for us and, um, feel free to, to follow us and, and hopefully we can release in, in, in the kind of material that's going to answer the questions that people need to be answered and that help, you know, establish, a good hunting community and network because, you know, for us, you know, we plan on working with some other people this year um, in the hunting industry, and we think that's really vital and important. It's not a competition for us, you know. Right. It's a, it's extending the social networking. It's, you know, we're all working towards the same goal and, and helping each other out. And, and, you know, your listeners might not be the people that are following our page right now. And, you know, of course, we'd love for those people, but we also want our followers to follow you. You know what I mean? Because that's to us, that's what makes it such a great tight knit unit. And, and so, you know, you know, we're not sponsored by anyone, you know, and we pay for everything out of our own pocket. Um, you know, we do have shirts for sale, um, for people that do want to, I've got some hats and, and some sweatshirts That's what's um, left in and stock, that right? literally, yeah. And I mean, we can order more, you know, at any time, but that literally like we don't make a dollar off of that. No, I, I not a dollar. I don't charge people, you know, to make five bucks off of it. You know, for us, it's, it really, it's just, you know, for the cost that we get for it. So, you know what I mean? That's, that's, yeah. that's the kind of the people that we are. You know, and, and, and we don't want anyone to feel like because they don't have, you know, I always get this, and I don't know if you do too, Leon, but I swear 
one of the very first lines in the message is, I'm not the hunter you are. Yeah. Yeah, I... Like, not to not to your degree, but yeah, I, but you know what I'm saying, yeah. like, and automatically I f- I feel for the person because you know I am not elite level, you know what I'm saying? No. I'm just another guy that's putting forth the effort, and and it's worked for me and what I do, and it works for you and what you do, and you know we're striving to be better and we have our own goals every year as well. You we're know what I mean? We're just further down like, the pipe than they are is all. Yeah. You know I mean, that's I mean? it. We just, we found a method that works for us and some information and we want to share it with people and, and, you know, have fun doing it because I love the whole social connection with everybody and, and gotten to meet so many really cool people and along the way and hear their journey and see where they're at. And, you know, and, and, you know, I've got, I think I, when I, before from bed to dead started, I think I had like 80 friends on my Facebook. I've got like 1500 now and it's so cool being able to go through my newsfeed and I'm constantly seeing like photos of bucks, stories, videos out there. Yeah. Like, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, and I love that aspect of it. Like, that's what I, that's what I really was hoping for. And then, you know, also meeting other people that have, hey, man, we heard you guys are going to Missouri. Like, you know, we got some intel on, a, you know, I don't know where you're going, but you should check this place out or check this place out. And we're the same way, you know, with a lot of our intel with the people that are in our, you know, our, our social networking, too. It's like, you know, I'm going to be just as happy if, you know, you came down to Indiana and we couldn't be there. And obviously we're not there. And we pass something along to you, and you, lo and behold, you send a picture, and you got a 150-inch buck or a 100-inch buck, and you're tickled pink. Like, I mean, that's what it's all about, you yeah. know? Trying to get away from that mold of, you know, the tight vest. Yeah, know? in the competition. Right. Because it's not a competition. It you shouldn't know? be. Well, it's not, yeah. though. You know, it's, it's, it's not. And the people that are feeling that way, like... I really feel like everybody needs to have a, a little bit of a reality check because I'll be honest with you, the best hunter I know has like a hundred four points and six <laughs> points. Just a straight killer getting it done because he never cared about going after a certain size buck. He just was a killer and he had so much information. And I remember it literally was like a border in his house around every room. You know, and those are the people that I look up, you know, and then I say, it ain't just I walk in and a guy has 20 giants on the wall. And is it, is it breathtaking when you see something like that? And you're like, oh, wow. But, you know, was it off a game ranch? You know, did the guy even work for it or has he got great property and he sat out over his field because it was low pressure and and, and, in the area that he hunted? Or was it somebody who actually hunted has some woodsman skip you know woodsmanship and and skill and can explain it because that's where the knowledge the power is and the knowledge you know what i mean and being able to understand so for me like i think that's the greatest part of what we're doing well i'll say this i'm electronically challenged <laughs> in a major way i only have a smartphone because i was forced to by my kids so <laughs> um Jason is the media face of this, and um, you know I I answer whenever whenever I can. I'm on pretty much on Facebook every morning and every night, and um, you know, but Instagram, 
Yeah, he doesn't do any of that. No desire whatsoever. I may embark on that adventure if one of my kids twists my arm and force me to do it again. But, um, yeah, so when it comes to that, I'm a little more um, adamant about the Facebook thing. Um, Jason's taking over, you know, really doing the media face of everything. And um, And I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm just a baby in that realm too right. you know what i mean so I've, bear with us <laughs> yeah bear with us people it's coming i, mean, I promise like I mean, we're learning yeah. as we go too well, just like you guys are <laughs> you're going to video school yes and yes. you're doing some other things to help yes, improve this whole yeah. experience and so the, yeah. there is some forward progress but uh say in june yeah. i have a videography class that's going to be that'll be taken and then i have an editing class in august um but i am going to use the 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 iMac you know software that's on there first and get some basic level stuff for us to get into and uh um so we can start releasing some of the really cool things that we have like I got a video of a really cool encounter with a buck that beds down for me at five yards away that's like a hundred inch caliber buck in Michigan in the dark like yeah like like, i mean like a really cool encounter and i'm walking out with my flashlight and he's bedded down and like i literally like he doesn't have no clue like from he grunts at me and like comes yeah he comes right to me and then lays down and i'm like yeah after like five minutes of him laying down i'm like hey and he like snaps (laughs) his head around like where did that come from and i'm like get out of here and he takes off running but like i thought he was gonna come at me i literally had my knife out because i thought i was gonna have to stab him because he was grunting and coming at me and i was like what that but i mean i seen him from 100 yards you know what i mean just his eyes going but it's it's really cool encounters that we see like that along with a lot of information you know in the caliber of bucks that we're talking about going after so these people that are following us and are like you know well what makes you guys these big buck killers you know well you know we want to put in perspective you know when we tell you we saw a good deer what we consider a good deer to be and when we're talking about mature animals in michigan who everybody says like at the start of this don't exist we're going to show you some. And then we're also going to show you the out-of-state hunts that we're going to be going on this year, too. And, you know, and, and, and a lot of the really cool and funny moments that take place that I think that's what embodies hunting. Yeah. You know, right now, as just so people can kind of understand a little bit, is, you know, Jason under Facebook, um, even though the account is linked, Jason can't post videos. But yet I can post videos. And we haven't been able to figure that out yet. I figured it out actually. Did I you? have to give a shout out to to Byron from the Whitetail Experience. Uh, Thank you, Byron. Uh, yes, apparently I hadn't downloaded the new Facebook app that I needed to <laughs> oh, download right. the video that. and stuff. Yeah, that's right. Okay. But I was so frustrated for a while. I mean, I I have I haven't even figured out how to edit, and I've tried this several times. The team members on our for where it says. It just has me listed, and it's totally not just me. You know what I mean? But right. it's it's those kind of things that I need to work out. You know, and 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 I'm learning, you know, how to figure everything out. But our most important thing out there was, you know, and not trying to sound conceited, but we can get on deer, we can kill deer, we can explain what needs to be done. Where we lack in is, you know, and I think probably because of how we are, is just, you know, we're not up to speed with with all the new cool things that people can do and the entertaining 
awesome videos and 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 all of the editing part that comes with it but i promise you like i'm putting forth the money yeah he is. i'm He's gonna be really yeah hard. i'm gonna be getting there and doing it but i want to do it the right way i don't want to you know i don't want to do it like a lot of people do and they release low quality stuff and then the people that are following them are like seriously yeah what is this you know what i mean like yeah. and i don't want to do that you know and i refuse to put forth something with my name on it that you know it just doesn't look quality and it doesn't it doesn't say what we want to say it doesn't you know show who we are either you know and um it's 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 uh it's been a really fun journey for me. It's been frustrating, but at the same time, it's been awesome because, you know, even you, you've reached out to say, hey, man, like, <laughs> if you need some help, let me know, you know, <laughs> because it's obvious to everyone that uh, we're uh, struggle bussing. Okay. <laughs> well, we're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm I'm really looking forward to, to kind of seeing this whole thing come together and, and watch these hunts unfold because I've... I mean, basically stopped watching any hunting TV and it's all YouTube and it's, everything is instructional. And so I'm the same way to watch it from a, a higher level standpoint and on Michigan ground that I can relate to. I think that's what a lot of people uh, in this area and our listeners and things that they're looking for. And so I'm really excited. And I know that there's the, I think on some level, However it comes out, as long as the information's there, yes. people are going to gravitate towards it mm-hmm. right. because they're not coming at it from a perspective of saying, well, I'm better than you and this is why. Right. It's saying, I'm not better than you. All you need to do is this and well, it, it's there. Not to mention, I mean, if I've got $5,000, I'm not spending it on editing software. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, where I come in. Jay's coming in because, on that one. Well, you know, I'm, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, but I don't want anyone to think that it's this is all you have to do, so to speak. You know, because it's a lot. But there are tangible explanations and reasons why it gets done. And I think that's what we're trying to, you know, get across to people because, you know, I think a lot of people in Michigan are really unhappy with the rules and restrictions that we have or how things are set up. You know, you got APR zones in 13 counties and they're doing well. And then you got these other counties that, you know, we have no protected deer in Michigan whatsoever. You know, button bucks can be tagged with doe tags. Any size bucks can be taken, you know, even though there's a, you know, restricted four points or more on one side, we all know that 90% of the guys shoot the first year and a half old eight point they see so they can keep back their restricted tag. Mm -hmm. And we're really hoping to educate a lot of Michigan hunters so we as a state can be better. We should be. You know, because yeah, we, we have the potent we have the potential to be. It's just I think if people felt like they were uh they had the tools, I think they might hold out for a better quality animal. Right. You know, and not so much just killing whatever walked in because we've had that mentality in Michigan for so long that if you don't shoot it, the next guy will. And that's really not true anymore. There's so much information out there that's 
that's educating people on age structure, on quality deer management, on passing, on how to get on better quality deer, you know, on, on seeing more deer because of what's readily out there for people to learn from, you know, and I think that, you know, we share in that responsibility on how to, to help educate other people and to give them the confidence and the information out there to, you know, to change that perspective of saying like, well, if I pass that four point, so-and-so will kill him, you know, well, if you pass that four point, you know, you are going to see another buck this year. On the same side of that coin, if I pass this four point, there could be a 12 year old kid on the other side of the ridge that's never shot a deer before. Right, right, right. You know, I mean, exactly. But, you know, and, and the thing is, is it's, it needs to be less about just killing yeah. and more about, you know, preserving our resources, but making it better as well, you know, like these other states. Because mm-hmm. we have the potential here, well, and they're you know? here. Yeah, there are, and, and they'd be here more in numbers if we were limited on the amount of deer we could take. Yeah, and I wish Michigan would go to a bu- one buck tag. Honestly, okay. I really do. APR Wouldn't make me feel bad, right? You know, I, I, on that, and I know a lot of people are going to be like, "Well, yeah, that's because you got twenty big ones hanging on the wall," but that's. That's not true. I really don't. I, I really feel like it. you give that three or four years, like, and a lot of people are going to have some really good bucks on the wall. Well, and I think a lot of it boiled down to is that, you know, first and foremost, before I'm a big buck hunter, before I'm, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm a conservationist. I'm a conservationist. That's right. You know, um, I care about these animals. Yeah. You know, I'm not just out there, you know, doing whatever frivolously and irresponsibly, you know. And when you tag, when you go after a specific buck, I'm going to tell you it's like a personal relationship. Oh, we're not even going in there. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, <laughs> though. It have... is. That's why I say it. Yeah. So you, you are. You you know, you're, yeah. you know, it's it's a, you get really in, in, involved in, you know, picking up trash when I'm out scouting. If I see it, I pick it up. You know what I mean? It's just those little things. I know it doesn't seem like much, but it is, you know. Yeah. So, Leaving it better than you found it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, like I say, I'm really excited to see what you guys have coming out. I think cool. we're like right on the same. I mean, you guys are echoing a lot of the same things, not from the hunting standpoint. I mean, we still have a lot to learn, and that's why this is a great experience for us. But as far as the herd management, as far as you know, leaving it better than you found it, as far as getting kids involved and enjoying the journey, I mean, it's. I think this is why it's it's so great to sit down and talk with you guys, and it's not um forced i suppose uh, because you're just kind of you know speaking to the kind of people that are following along with this um but like i say i just want to thank you guys for your time and thank you. Oh, you we know, appreciate it we'll definitely have to do this again maybe sometime Absolutely. late summer or something like that when yeah. i give a shout out real quick oh i gotta give a shout out to my bride thank you baby without you this wouldn't happen absolutely like uh that's uh the I have to, you know, say that the people that love us and support us the most, like if it, you know, they're putting up with our crazy addiction, obsession, you know, and without that, like I really, um, I could tell you right now, I don't know where I would be in that standpoint because, you know, I'd be a lonely person, but instead I've got so many cool people that support me. So, you know, I got a lovely girlfriend and, and two beautiful kids that, uh, that support me and actually go with me and enjoy it. And I, I dare say that, 
my 16 year old daughter is probably gonna outdo her old man here <laughs> before too long <laughs> she's so she set up for it thanks for having us man yeah yeah appreciate no it we'll definitely have to do it again yep. okay